All right, we have another very special guest on Best Hour of Their Day. We have Eric Malzone, and ironically, we met on your podcast. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, full circle, man. Yeah, full, full circle. Full circle. So if you don't know Eric, because you know we have a lot of you know CrossFit Games athletes on here. Eric, actually, did you compete at the CrossFit Games? No, 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 no. I, I was uh, in California. I was like top five hundred open athlete kind of guy, but. No, man. <laughs> well, let me give you the best. I always try to give a nice introduction to people. You are a podcast host yourself, The Future of Fitness. Uh, so I highly recommend listeners check that out. But, you know, the big thing that you do these days is you're a consultant and a, a business guy. And I used you and your company in the past to help with our own your eating website and design. And honestly, just advice. You are one of the most... Um, how can I say this? You just steady. You're steady, and you don't let emotion get too much in the way. And I'm the opposite. So <laughs> when I need good advice, you are a good person to go to. And I've I've sent numerous box owners your way, and you know I think you continue to to help me grow. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate you, man. And it's uh, every time I get on a conversation with you, I enjoy it. And you know, I think it's you. Uh, you ask me what I do and how to, uh, you know explain to people what it is that I do and I have a hard time doing it because I'm just a serial entrepreneur. I try a lot of different things and you know, every, if you talk to me six months later, probably something may have failed and I've tried something new or there's a new evolution thereof. So uh, I guess what I can just say is uh, people ask, I'm a multi-potentialite. Um, I always like to have multiple things going on. So I have, I have a lot of fingers within the fitness industry, um, innovating and, and trying new things. So that's kind of what I'm up to now. Yeah. You're like a more focused version of me. I think <laughs> like I'm, I'm the same hey, with higher body fat. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you know, and you travel a lot currently you're in whitefish Montana, but you've been all over the country, you know, yeah. traveling and I, I can appreciate that. But the big topic you and I were kind of like, Hey, what are we going to talk about? Cause we can do a lot of things, but like myself, you've sold CrossFit affiliates. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, I like to really make that a topic of our discussion today. I get asked all the time about selling a box and it usually requires me to get on a phone call or answer a bunch of emails, but I figured what better way to, you know, answer everyone's questions and by having a conversation and talking about it so I can direct them here going forward. Yeah. Awesome. So I sold three affiliates. You sold one, you sold what was originally CrossFit Pacific coast, but then rebranded as, Gravitas Fitness. Do you want to, when did you open that box? Yeah. So that business, uh, you know, my, my CrossFit background started, I believe in late, um, or like early 2008, I, I walked into Chris Lane's gym in San Francisco, which was Lane Fitness. And, uh, people don't know who that is. That's Jack Lane's, um, family member. And, uh, I got hooked on it. You know, I saw this massive growth. I think the time I may have been client number 30 by the time I left, uh, to go open my own. I was client 160 or there was 150, 160 clients. I mean, um, so I saw this massive growth and I was like, wow, I can, I can do this. Right. And, um, so I formulated the business. Um, uh, I was actually working in a corporate job at the time and I got a text message from a college teammate of mine, Trevor Bohm, um, during happy hour on a Friday. And he's like, Hey, you want to open a gym? <laughs> what? Right. And then I thought about it. And one beer later, I texted him back. And this was back when it was like, texting was like 444, 
three three. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so I said, I'm like, yeah, yeah, I do. So we we got on the horn uh, a week later, and you know, kind of fast forward the story. Is six months later, we had formed the business, uh, got the affiliate, and I had all of my earthly belongings packed in a car driving from San Francisco to Santa Barbara, which was a town I'd never been to, nor did I know anybody uh, to open a, a gym and uh, live the dream, right? And it, uh, you know, through many pitfalls and ups and downs, of course, it, it, uh, it was a successful gym. And um, over that span, which is about eight and a half years, um, <clears throat> you know, I rebranded it, bought out a business partner, gone through just about every trial and tribulation you can do with, with a gym, um, landlord issues, you name it. Uh, you know, upgraded to a 5,000 foot, you know, uh, facility after starting at 800 feet multiple times. But the choice to sell was, you know, more of a personal issue. Um, you know, we wanted to, you know, we had some, some personal things happen in life over 2016, just like, bam, 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 which just made me think, and my wife and I think that, hey, you know, let's all those things that we always talk about that we want to do, uh, you know, live in a mountain town. She want to learn how to ski and, you know, a lot of things. We want to travel, see more places. And the only thing holding us back was owning a gym and being anchored in that town. And Santa Barbara is an amazing place. Don't get me wrong. Beautiful community of people. Um, I was so blessed to know everybody in the town, but I just knew it was time to, to move on. And, you know, uh, ultimately when it comes to initiating change of any kind, you know what you want to do. And then you find the tiniest first step and you take it and then you see where that leads you and then you take the next one. Right. So go ahead. I, th I think that's important to know that you know, a lot of people think about selling a gym and it's not often, or I should say it's not always simply, you know, you get made this lucrative offer or you're having a fallout with your business partner or just might be, you want some sort of life change. Yeah. And that's yeah. what, so the question then becomes for people, and I think it's always different. You know, I sold three gyms for three different reasons and really three different outcomes. What was that like? You had a partner. What did it become when you decided, when you made that decision with your wife that you wanted to sell? Yeah. Um, so when I came home and I told her one night, I'm like, hey, I think I'm ready. I'm ready to sell the gym. First of all, she was like, don't mess with me. Don't. <laughs> don't say that unless you're serious. I'm like, no, I'm serious. You know, we talk about moving to a mountain town and living that lifestyle because we're extremely uh, outdoorsy. And every time we had the opportunity, we were escaping from the beach to the mountains. And uh, so that, that, was, that was actually quite easy. I'm like, no, I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm dead serious and I'm going to start, start this thing. And generally, it takes me a long time to make decisions, but once I do, um, they're set in stone and I move forward. And uh, I think, you know, for people listening who are thinking, well, can it be that simple? Well, everything is simple, but not always easy, right? Um, and understand like selling a, a gym, if, if you ever bought a home uh, or anything like that, I've been part of that process, everything is laid out simply, but there's always something that happens, right? Whether it's something in escrow, you need to come in with more money or you know something along the lines of that, there's always kind of a surprise and you have to be ready for that surprise. But the biggest thing when I talk to gym owners who, who want to sell their gym is you have to take the emotion out of it because we tend to get so attached to the community, to the thing we built and the pride behind it. And that, you know, you have to understand what, what value really means to a buyer. And depending on who the buyer is, what role you play in the gym, the value can shift significantly because it is, is very subjective. 
right? Um, and that's the thing about value. So, um, you know, for me, the first step was um, reaching out to people I trusted and knew. Um, I reached out to my, uh, you know, a couple of my mentors at the time, James Fitzgerald was one of them. Um, I had a business coach at the time too, Chris Cooper. Um, and uh, people who are just other, otherwise outside of fitness, great business people. I asked them, Hey, what does this process look like? So the first thing you had to do is come up with some kind of valuation. Um, and then that was my step one. Funny, right. you, mentioned, you mentioned Chris Cooper. I was on his podcast when I sold mine and that's why I still continue to get hit up. And I agree. One, the piece of advice I always give is, you know, ultimately it's worth what someone's willing to pay. Yes. Because we, we have so much emotion behind it. And it's like, just because you care about it, it's your baby doesn't mean it's worth a million dollars. Yeah. Well, and let's, let's give an example, like a really good place to start evaluation is, is take your net profit from the previous year and multiply that times two and a half. Okay. That's a good place to start. Now you have to look at the factors behind that of, um, if it is truly owner operated, if you're coaching the classes, if you're, um, doing the programming, if you're doing all these things, what happens if you get pulled out of that business? The business value greatly decreases. I had worked over you know, an eight and a half year span to build a business that I could walk away from at any point and the thing still runs, right? The only thing I did was marketing. Not many boxes these days are set up that way. Almost all are owner operated and yeah, you could have 200 members, but as soon as I pull you out of it, it falls apart. So, you know, I think I th one thing I tell people is like, hey, the, the cost of entry to a CrossFit affiliate is not very high. You're limited by whatever the rent will be. But the equipment and whatnot, 30, 40,000, which is a lot of money, but to start a business is not. Right. So for me to want to buy your business, there has to be a tremendous amount of value there, or I'll just open my own. Yes. And that's, I had been approached about buying other gyms in the area and they would come to me with some, you know, evaluation that I could tell they just scribbled on a piece of paper with little thought. And I was like, well, where did you get this number? Where did you get a hundred thousand? And like, well, this is, that's, you know, I talked to a consultant and that's what they said. I'm like, well, first of all, you didn't talk to anybody, but you just came up with a number that you want and good for you for asking. Um, but you know, the fact of the matter is just like you said, is I can easily just wait for you to go out of business, potentially part. And this sounds ruthless, but this is business. You know, um, I could go wait and just buy your equipment, you know, at 50 cents on the dollar or less, and then rent another space and start, take your spot in that area. And that's, that's, how I say you got to take the emotion out of it and realize what the situation is that you're actually in. Now, if you are an owner operator, right? and you have a lot of passion for what you do and you can find somebody who shares that passion, right? Who wants to step into your role, then that's probably your best bet. Okay. Because what you can do is come up with some kind of equity share or a long-term payout plan, um, unless they have cash, which maybe they don't. Right. So it's, it's very, because if they did have cash, they'd probably open their own gym. Right. Um, so it's very individualized on the case, but, there's a lot of different scenarios. And if people actually want to email me, I have a whole ebook on this, or I could give it to you, Jason, uh, that I wrote on all the different parameters and different examples. And it was written by, uh, mostly written by a gentleman named John Eagle, who um, I'd like to give respect to because he actually passed away this year. Um, great guy. I've been in the gym business for years and years and years. And we laid out four different scenarios of what it is. And we have a, a, a really nice checklist 
um, of things you need to have in place before you go approach, you know, potential buyers. So um, I can give that to you, Jason, if you want, and you can distribute it to people. Um, it's free, but uh, that it's a really good asset um, on how to on how to look at each scenario from a buyer perspective, right? Um, and then the seller perspective, and then kind of the truth, right? Because there's three sides to every story. Um, <laughs> there's he said she he said she said, and then what really happened? Um, kind of the same in in business sales. Yeah, we'll definitely share that with all the notes. I'll put your information, but yeah, we'll make that available to everybody. Because if you, whether you, I think it'd be a great read, even if you're just thinking about opening an affiliate to be yes. prepared, you know, I have a really successful friend outside of the fitness world. And he always says, if you're starting a business, the goal should be to sell it. Yes. And I think you we, should, you should always be working towards your business as a sellable asset because that just means it's healthy. Great. Yeah. Great point. And I think so many you know, I just had Chris Cooper on and he has a new book out, Founder, Farmer, Tinker, Thief. And so many people are in that founder phase where it's like you basically bought yourself a job. And yeah. I think if a lot of box owners would be real with themselves and take a, take a look, it's like, all right, could you make more money coaching for someone else and remove this headache from your life? Yeah. So yeah. what? What were some of the things you did well to create a sellable asset? So box owners listening and they think to themselves, this guy's right. I listened to a previous episode. They're making sense. What, what are some tangible steps they can make to, to make their box not just more successful, but sellable? Mm -hmm. uh, this is going to sound a little out of left field, but right now, go put a four-week vacation on your calendar. Four weeks. Four weeks, one month. In a row. Right? In a row. Uh, at least put it on the calendar, right? Maybe you don't have to take it, or maybe you do. Maybe it's just a staycation. Maybe you go somewhere and you go, like my wife and I, and you go camping for, in the outdoors for a long time, right? But the point is, you want to have something in there where you're like, okay, I got to set up every single system so this thing runs perfectly while I'm gone. I have to get the right staff. I have to communicate. I have to have the right procedures, um, you know, everything has to be systematized so that you are no longer the thing that's holding it back. Um, May doesn't have to be four weeks. You probably do two weeks and get just by just fine. But I want to impress upon people that, you know, you should be able to step away from the business for a long period of time and that it's right. going to be, okay. and that's going to force you to look at all the different weak spots of, of your business and, and address them quickly. Yeah. I've, I've heard that from some of the best coaches out there. I know Ben Bergeron talks about it. Yep. If you can't take a, you can't take a one week vacation. I mean, I love the idea of a four week one because mm -hmm. that it really sets you up. You can get by for a week. The gym will run, but you know, in four weeks, memberships are coming due again. Um, you know, bills are, bills are due. New members are going to come in where you have to sell them on, on buying a membership. Yeah. I think just having that on there, I think that's a great idea. And actually maybe even, you know, two weeks and pay for the vacation. So you're going. Yeah, you, know, you don't want to lose that deposit you put down, and you know whether it's camping or just you know going somewhere. I think that's a great idea. So put that on the schedule. What else? Um, <clears throat> get your numbers together. I think that's a big thing. I mean, if you if you don't have if you haven't been in business for like three years, and you may have a problem selling the business as it is, 
but three, three years of P&Ls, airtight numbers, um, a really solid um, lease. That's a big part of it is like, what is the status of your lease? Um, that's a big red flag. Uh, if it's not secure for at least two years at the current rate, a lot of buyers, if they're savvy, will see that as a huge red flag and want that addressed. Um, that actually came back to me in my situation uh, when I sold and almost blew the whole thing up because I didn't realize that I had acquired another space and that the lease dates had actually shifted so that when I was about to sell, and this is, you know, landlords in Santa Barbara, California are the worst, um, you know, they're like, oh yeah, oh, congratulations, that's great, I'm, I'm excited for you. So that other spot that you took over, yeah, we're gonna double that rent. And I was like, what, right? And luckily I had a good attorney, right? We, we found um, a way to get over that hurdle and it went through well, but that almost blew the whole thing up. And that's the importance of, of getting a good lease and making sure that, you know, ultimately if you can buy, if you can buy the property, that's best, but making sure that your lease is airtight you have all of your documentation in place for profit and loss for three years. There's no questions about that. Um, and I would also make sure that if it's possible, uh, don't accrue debt on the business, right? Because I had debt, like I had to buy out my business partner um, in 2016, Traver. Um, he was moving on in life. And uh, I took on the debt um, from a personal standpoint through a bank so that I knew if I want to sell someday, it wouldn't be attached to the business, right? Uh, so that's another thing because debt's going to happen, right? Um, but just make sure there's a way that the debt is not attached to the business when you leave. So those are really three tangible pieces of advice. Mm -hmm. Have your numbers, you know, th two or three years of your P&Ls. Check out your lease because I've seen, I've seen sales fall through for that same reason. Mm -hmm. if this is even if it's like, hey, this is your last year on the lease, now my fear is, well, if I come in and the landlord doesn't want to resign me, you know, what have you sold me? You know, the, yeah. And then, and then lastly, not have debt. Easier said than done. But yeah, if someone's looking from a buying perspective, they're buying your business and then also potentially taking over your debt. Yeah, you just, you don't want the debt permanently attached to the business. Like, you, you know, maybe if it's in the business name, but it's underwritten for you, you know, something, something like that. And I think number one through all of this is get a great business attorney, you know, or a solid one. Uh, yeah. It, it, their hourlies can be shocking. Right. Um, you know, I think through the whole process, I probably had had to spend about $6,000 um, with my business attorney and it was, they did a great job. And at the end of the day, I would, I would have paid double, you know, to get that sale done um, because they, they handled things extremely well. Because yeah. especially once you start getting legal letters from a landlord or something like that, there's nothing more horrifying than getting a threatening legal letter. And then you start to realize, oh, that's just the way they talk, right? That's <laughs> just the way attorneys talk. They're always threatening. Uh, so it's it's true though. And you know, even in the my book, I, best hour of their day, I'm writing all about this advice and these lessons. But I'm like, okay, you guys want something tangible? I always say, get a good accountant. Yeah. But you know, an attorney's right there. You know, a good accountant and a good attorney are invaluable because it what you don't spend there will come back to bite you in the ass. Yes. So a thousand times. Let, let's let's take a step back. What are even if I wasn't going to sell, but I just am running a box, what are the three most common mistakes you've seen? You mentor a lot of people in all of businesses, but let's make it specific towards CrossFit. What are three of the most common mistakes you've seen in box ownership? 
Uh, I, I think number one is paying attention to the wrong metrics, right? Uh, it's very easy to get wound up in, and I don't know if it's much of an issue anymore because there are a lot of good business mentors who have come about uh, within the industry now. But when I started, you know, Andy Petronic was, and, uh, and John Birch were like the, the first business coaches within, uh, within CrossFit. Remember the biz? Do you remember that? Oh yeah. I know the biz. Yeah. yeah pretty yeah, well. Yeah. Uh, I'm still buddies with Andy and I talk to John every once in a while too. Great, great guys. Um, but back then it was always about like, well, how many members do you have? Right. Uh, how big is your gym? Right. These are all vanity metrics, but now we're starting to see like, you know, and this is real business is, is making its way into CrossFit and has for years now is, you know, well, what's, what's the most important metric? Uh, well, number one, what's your profit? Right. And a lot of people don't know where your profit is. What's your retention? right? And what's your average client value, you know, so knowing those numbers and really paying attention and focusing on the metrics that matter to you and your sanity and your bottom line, that's, that's the biggest thing. Um, number two is not taking time to create the systems. And here's the thing is it takes time to take the time to make the metrics. So you got to start making time for yourself where you're not just doing, you know, the operations of a gym. So, um, you know, with business owners that I work with or gym owners, the first thing we start doing is identifying, okay, at what point are you actually going to do the work that I'm assigning you? Right. <clears throat> and they're like, well, and it's tough because, you know, I, one thing that will frustrate a business mentor is going week to week talking about the same topic when none of the homework gets done. So the first thing you have to do is actually make the time. And, you know, whatever that is, if it's just an hour on Monday morning to start figuring out, okay, how can I start handing things off? What are the, what are the things that actually take place in my gym to keep it running um, every day from, you know, obviously onboarding new clients, um, you know, programming the workouts, coaching classes, those are obvious, but what about the little things? Like who goes and gets the toilet paper when they're out, right? Who, uh, you know, who's cleaning, you know, who's mopping the floors, who's doing these little things that you don't necessarily think about until you're actual business owner. So listing out those things and starting to take those lowest, um, the lowest priority tasks or the lowest skill tasks and starting to hand those off immediately. And it's kind of like, uh, you ever heard of the debt snowball? No, Not explain sure. that. So if you have a massive amount of debt, okay. Um, so you have like, you know, a mortgage and you have a car payment, you have multiple credit card bills and you, t you have a bunch of stuff you got to pay every month. You take whatever the smallest balance is and the smallest payment, you pay that off first, right? Then you take that money that you're paying towards that, you put it towards the next one, right? The one that's up the scale. So the, the highest one, eventually you get to the mortgage, but you keep you using that money and you keep pinching and then you, it, the whole thing snowballs until eventually you're starting to pay off more debt quicker and faster. And the same thing goes with your time in the gym and the things that you're doing. Take the smallest tasks, right? That take your time, repetitive things, right? And you have to, this takes awareness too. Hand that off to somebody else. Hire an admin for $10 an hour, a virtual assistant to do some email stuff. Whatever it is that takes your time, now you take that extra time. Now you're developing systems that will take over things that are taking up, you know, a significant amount of time. And it keeps going until eventually you're doing the things that um, a business owner should be doing, which is managing and developing staff, uh, figuring out new ways to market, new opening up new revenue streams, things like that. So that would be number two. Um, well, before you, before you go on to number three, a couple of things you said, you know, from a business perspective, business coaching, it's frustrating. It's no different than any coaching, right? So if you're oh, listening, yeah. 
you don't want to be that athlete, if you will, that doesn't do what you're telling them and then getting frustrated. You're not getting the results you want. Yeah. So, yeah. And it's, it's, it's out of love, right? Like you want to see these people pro- progress and um, it's hard to let go of some things, right? Sometimes people like being busy because it helps them feel productive. But you know, if you're doing, you're like, well, I like being, you know, I like being the, the business owner who's the hustler, right? Who's working 60 hours a week because, you know, I'm going to make it happen. Right? Well, Gary, let's just take a step back. Right? Right. Gary V made that sexy. Yeah. 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 Well, that's a whole nother topic. Um, but I guarantee Gary V doesn't change the toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Right. Uh, so I think taking those tasks and don't be afraid to start hiring help. And, you know, it can be as simple as like, hey, find an intern out of college, right? Who will trade you for a membership and she'll do or he'll do four hours of work every week. That was one of the first things I did. I mean, I had free coaches for years before I realized, okay, I need to pay these people. And yeah, you know, definitely something to look at. You, Every box has that person that goes to school or that struggles to afford a membership that you can certainly create a relationship with. So, you know, something else you mentioned in that systems area is something you guys preached to me for a long time and that's eliminate, automate, delegate. Really, yes. you know, that's a lot of what you're saying. And I, and I agree with you, like make a list of everything you have to do from, you know, coaching a class to buying toilet paper, what can be eliminated, what can be automated and what can be delegated. And don't, exactly. de- you know, don't delegate what can be eliminated. Yes. Yeah. So what, what's number three? Uh, you know, I think from a broad perspective, and there's so many things, it's to put, to put them into three is tough, but I would think um, really understanding who you're having a clear vision of who your ideal client is, um, what they want, and then creating the experience around that person. You can't, I mean, you can, and on a local, now I'm in the online space, right? You have to have a very specific niche when you're in the online space. In the brick and mortar local uh, area, you can, you can afford to be a little broader, right, in who you serve, but you can't serve everybody, right? I mean, if you're, if you're a, and I know this from, from personal experience, you can't be the gym that handles the 35 to 55 year old busy, you know, um, affluent, you know, kids, mortgage, right? That's one specific demographic or, or avatar. And then you can't also serve the CrossFit athlete, right? That's a whole nother ball, right? And they're just completely different. And I think the people that I see most who are most successful um, have taken time to figure out who they like to work with, right? Who tends to be attracted to their style of coaching and business. Um, and it takes a little time to figure that out, but then fully committing to that, right? So creating a whole user experience. So there's a great example of a gentleman. He's not a CrossFit gym, um, but he's out of Sacramento, California. His name's Robert Linkle. And he has completely built his business and very successful gym business around the 55 and over, right? That's all he serves. That's who he serves and everything from how he markets, right? Like he's not doing Instagram ads for 55 and over, right? He's doing a little bit of Facebook and he's doing door hangers, right? Because that's the marketing that works down to how he assesses people and how their on-ramp happens. It's completely different, right? And then the whole story, you know what happens? Um, he has a very fluent market right? Uh, people over the 55 can afford small group training. Uh, he has, he doesn't, he does very little marketing. He does referral generation, not lead generation because they're so happy 
that they're referring people because they know exactly who fits into their tribe, right? Um, and then it just becomes easier. It doesn't have to have multiple lines of programming, right? It's just this one thing. So I think finding out who your ideal client is, who your target market is, and completely committing to it, which is the scary part. Well, I think that's a valid point because, you know, granted this is geared primarily towards CrossFitters. And if a box owner is listening, they're going to say, I don't have an ideal client because anybody could do CrossFit, which is true, but you still have to be able to afford it, right? You also have to most likely live in a certain radius to the gym. You know, you have to be able to attend the class times that we have. So there are some parameters you should be thinking about. You may be trying to get everybody then realize, okay, I turns out most college kids can't afford our rate in Naples, Florida or wherever you live. So you right. need to think about that demographic, not just, you know, age group or, and again, if you're trying to be that box that sends a team to the games, which is clearly changed these days, you know, you, you're, you're not trying to be the box that might get a seven year old woman to come into class. Yeah. Well, you know, back when I started and back when you started, just being CrossFit was a differentiator. Oh yeah. I mean, it, I, in the book I talk about like for the first two years, it was former athletes or people that just wanted to change at the gym. It wasn't middle-aged men and women coming in because they couldn't, you know, quote unquote, couldn't do CrossFit. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's like, well, by the time I sold, there was five CrossFit affiliates within three square miles, right? You granted like you're that. in Santa Barbara, a little different than me. But yeah, we're like Starbucks these the days. Yeah. Right? Different, but the same. Um, and maybe that was, you know, California is just a very, um, they're kind of on the, the cutting edge of anything fitness related. So maybe, you know, the trends trickled back through, you know, more of middle America um, over the three year span. But the point is, is like, I, that was a differentiator. Now, if you don't have a differentiator within the market, what's, what separates me if I see, if I don't know anything about CrossFit, like I want to try this CrossFit thing, right? And there's three other gyms that I can go to what separates you from them and what makes you a non-commodity? They don't know. They don't, they don't the people, the, the average people, they don't know that CrossFit's not, uh, you know, a franchise, right? They don't know that it's not one big chain. So how do you differentiate? And that's usually by finding a, you know, one to three very specific avatars and serving them extremely well. Um, and you know what else happens at that point too? You can charge more. Yeah, I think, you know, when you get the right avatar and they realize that they will pick up on the fact that you are the box for them, they'll be willing to pay more, especially if your avatar happens to be, you know, a higher socioeconomic level, yeah. which in reality, most, most CrossFitters are, you know, I, I don't like to think that it's uh, dispensable because I think everyone needs to focus on their health and fitness, but $150 on average a month is, is expensive compared to a standard gym rate, which I've said over and over, that's our competition. Your box, you know, your globo gyms that have bumper plates. That's who you're competing against these days. So, yeah, well, I would say that $150 is not that expensive. And I think that's, um, you know, I think it's a, my, a money mindset that seems to be pervasive within the CrossFit community as well, um, which I know a lot of business coaches within the realm are always trying to change is like, and by the time, Granted, we can say I was in Santa Barbara. It's a, a very affluent area. Uh, by the time um, I sold my unlimited, it was two sixty-five, right, per month. And 
I felt very confident asking for that. So I think if there's a number four that we can talk about is changing your money mindset and working very hard around that. And uh, if you don't know what that means, then just Google out what a money mindset is. And I think one of the best ones that I know of is, uh, you read Jen Sincero's books? Yeah, you are badass at making money, that one? Yeah, yeah, it's great. You know, it'll really start to shift um, and understand that your beliefs, right? Because the chances are if you're a gym owner, um, a lot of your clients probably make more money than you do, okay? Just going to, I'm going to be honest. No, I think, you know, and I've heard people say, you're probably about to say, it's like, we try to charge people based on what we can afford, not what they can afford. Yeah, exactly. And I would take a look like, you know, Money's not dirty thing, right? It's okay to make money and serve a population. You don't have to be a martyr, right? You don't have to have a second job to do this. So reverse engineer, how much money do you want to make that empowers you to be the best version of yourself, right? And that means, you know, doesn't mean you have to take it home. You don't have to drive a Jag, right? You don't have to be a rich asshole. Can I swear? I just did. Um, I don't think assholes are swear anymore. Okay, good. Uh, but if it allows you to provide a better service and allows you to, if you make more money to, to, you know, deliver a better service, be a better part of your community, then you should have that. So take a number that you want to make reverse engineer it right through how much you need to be charging um, per client and don't be scared to ask for it. You know, because once you start doing that, you're going to start attracting what you do is you're going to automatically figure out, well, what kind of value do I need to deliver to ask for a price like that? And you'll, you'll do it you'll create it, right? And then you'll start to attract the people that you want because you've created the value that they're looking for. And then you have a business that, you know, eventually you can probably sell. That's huge. I mean, I think so many, again, I think really any, any business, but specifically in CrossFit, it's like we get into it because we love it. We're good at it. We open, right? It's like the e-myth, you know, we talk, it's, you, you are good at your craft. So you think you should open a business, and we don't think about any of those things you just said. I know I didn't. I was very lucky in that I got into CrossFit at the right time, did things the right way, and, and grew to this you know huge, huge sale. But for a lot of people, it's like, oh, we don't think about all these things. We were limited by our financial beliefs. I know I was. I was like, I can't charge $100 a month. I wouldn't be able to afford that. People kept paying it. I... I remember having this conversation with one of my members when we were, we went from like 100 to 125 and the member was like, what do you want to lose all your members? And this was after I was like a little more confident and I was like, we'll see. Everyone paid. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, maybe pat myself a little bit on the back. I was doing things well. So they were like, I don't want to give that up. And I think a lot of box owners need to realize that. If, you know, I talked about increasing rates with Chris Cooper last week, but I think don't be afraid to change that mindset. And I love those Jen Sincero books both. I haven't read her new one. Have you read the new one yet? No, no, I didn't even know she had a new one. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's powerful because here's the thing. And it's a law of perception, right? Perceived value. If I have two pens, okay? Let's just say like, I don't know if people are watching video, but I have two pens here. They're obviously different, but if they're the same pens, same exact pens, made in the same exact place by the same exact factory, right? And one costs 99 cents, the other one costs $4. You're gonna be like, whoa, what's up with that $4 one? That must be a nice pen. Must be something to it, right? I'm interested in that one. I want to try that one, right? That's the way we work. And you know, if you're thinking, well, my market won't allow for it, 
or you know, people here won't pay for that. Well, then figure out ways to increase the value, right? If you're not confident in it, then how do you increase value? And that, that's, that's the thing. If you're constantly looking for ways to increase value, you'll be able to consistently raise your rates to meet the demand on that value. And you just have to be confident in it. And it's, it's not, you're like, Eric, I hear you, but it's hard. It, it, well, it is, but it isn't, right? It, it's, it's your mental outlook on how the whole thing is going down. Um, if you don't think that you're delivering the value to your clients that you, you should be, then ask your clients. That's a, I want to stop there for a sec. Cause that's a great piece of advice that people don't do. I always, whenever I talk to boxes and I tell them all the time, like take out your best clients for coffee all time and find out, like we think about the people that leave, talk to the ones that stay and ask why they stay. Because one of the worst things you can do is do things well and not know it yeah. and not, and not know to try to continue to do it. Yeah. That was like, a regular thing. Um, I took my clients out to coffee or lunch all the time. You know what? I would always joke, but it's not a joke because it's true. I sold more products or services over coffee than I did through any Facebook ad, you know, yeah. for I would $3 ask for $3. For yeah, $3. It's and if you're going to do it, here's the thing is create that, that crazy product or that crazy service, right? I had a thousand dollar private training nutrition package, right? So I would go uh, have coffee with my clients. And at the end, in a very nice way, I would be like, Hey, I want to get your thoughts on this. You know, I'm thinking about putting together this, this personal training nutrition package and you know, it's this, 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 it costs a thousand dollars. What do you think? I'm like, Oh, I think it's great. Do you know anybody who'd be interested in that? Uh, yeah. I want to get my husband in this. Yeah. Right? You need to lose 10 pounds. Cool. Okay, great. And then that happened a lot, you know, because you're building rapport and then you start to understand like, um, cause you get to ask questions of people. And a lot of times you take them out to that coffee scenario and they're going to be, they're not going to give you the hard truth because they probably like you. Right. But you will start to understand where, if you're asking the questions, right. Which is a whole nother podcast, right. Um, where the value is that they see and how you're delivering that value to them and how you can take that knowledge and really put the gas on the pedal and, and blow the doors off with value. And, you know, working with you in the past, you guys taught me two valuable lessons. One was even to this day, when I would do something new with say on your eating or another company, I would still continue to undervalue myself. Mm. And you guys would always give me charge more, charge more. And it every single time worked out. And then the second thing, which you've kind of, I don't think you realized you touched upon was like the Cadillac. That was what you were talking about with the pens and somewhat, you know, maybe you have that Cadillac product or membership at your box and it's a thousand dollars, like Eric just said, and not everybody does it, but they see that and they're like, okay, well, I'll take the unlimited membership. Still $200 a month, but you know, by having that super high ticket item, they then default to the medium one versus going to the lowest one. Oh, all the time. Yeah, like 90% of the time, right? And that, that undervaluing thing is something that's so universal. I, I, I do it to myself all the time, you know? Um, you know, Kate Jaramillo and I have this great service where we create online accredited certifications for people. And we're just starting to realize like how much value that is really there and how much we've been undervaluing a service because we actually create, you know, quarter million dollar revenue streams for people. And uh, so I, I think it, what it takes, Jason, is, is outside perspective. 
somebody who can look at your situation and say, no, you should charge more, or maybe you should shift the way you do this. You know, and that's, that's really, that's the value of a mentor is mostly outside perspective. And we could probably have a no, another podcast on that, but you, you, you mentioned Kate, so it should, we should kind of touch on that real quick. You guys built cert- certificate courses, certifications for people. Mm-hmm. Uh, you guys built the own your eating certificate course. So if you've taken our course or you want to, you can take it online. You get CrossFit CEUs for your level three and level four credential. You guys do that. So maybe you want to do a, a fitness one or maybe you want to do one on the trumpet, right? You can do that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a great way. I mean, what I, the way I see the future of education is certainly becoming online. Um, <clears throat> and if you want to get out ahead of things is create, if you have a very specific area of knowledge, right? Something that like Jason does, right? And own your eating nutrition, something he's done. You can take, you know, uh, a certification, online certification like Jason's and walk out of with everything you need to actually start an online business. And that's, that's the type of certifications and accreditation that we look for, for, and partners, um, when we do things like that. And it's, it's an amazing opportunity. And, you know, um, you know, for someone like you, Jason, you're obviously an author, but, you know, getting your knowledge out there in that type of, um, in that online space is a whole nother, you know, leg to your business, which is really powerful too. Well, and I agree with you on kind of the direction the world is going, Mm. you know, I, 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 talked about going to college and, you know, master's degrees and all that stuff. But I mean, it's online these days, you, whether it's hours or, you know, I see Seth Godin has like his all NBA. There's so many cool things out there. And for a lot of them, you're right. Like our goal with our program is you take it and you have a new business just from learning from us. So it's really, really cool. But you could reach out to Eric if you have an interest in that, you know, all of what we've discussed is important, but the topic of this show is best hour of their day. So you can do all these things we're saying, but at the end of the day, if you're not providing the best hour, probably doesn't matter. What were some of your tips? Like what did you do as a coach to cultivate that at your box? How did you provide the best hour of your member's day? Oh man, that's it, that was the fun, right? I mean, and when you get, all the business things aside, the marketing, the, the systems, uh, when you get to coach and get on the floor, uh, I think the biggest thing is make sure you bring the best of you with you and leave all the other shit behind. You know, it was, uh, it was really easy to, you know, maybe you, you just read an email right before you get on the floor, right? And you're like, oh man, I got a cancellation or something like that. Leave that behind, go enjoy it. Um, put yourself at a high level of energy and resonate um, with your clients and make sure that you know, um, not only are you giving to them, right, in the form of the energy and the excitement and the experience, but allow yourself to take it back in, right? That's part of the exchange of energy that goes on in a 60-minute class. You know, allow them to elevate you, right? Share things with them. You know, don't be a downer, but allow yourself to take that energy back because it's just going to completely circle around in the room. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing is leave all the other shit behind when you're out there coaching, be present, right? Look at people and understand that, um, you are the best hour of their day. And if you believe that you will resonate that throughout the class and it's, you should have a ton of fun doing it. 
So it's just a state of mind. I think that's the biggest thing is we can get in little tactics like, okay, what happens when someone walks into class? Of course they need to be greeted, right? You ask them the question, you do the name game. Hey, let's all go around and say, hey, what's your, give me your first name and your favorite uh, type of food, right? And you know, that starts conversations and all that and you can play games for warm up. Um, all are great tactics, but the biggest thing is be present because that's the thing that people feel the most. That's solid advice. Be present. And I think this day and age, I had a conversation with Bill Anthes also on the podcast. And we talked about how hard that is in today's day and age with a phone. Put your phone down. Don't bring it into the classroom and be present with your members. Yeah. That's All right. Some questions that I think you're going to give some great answers. I'm excited for these questions. Oh. One, what book would you recommend these listeners read? And I've read a lot of books. I, you know what? I know what book you're going to recommend. I want to wait. I don't want to bias you, but I'm going to, I'll tell you, I'll be honest, but you've rec out of anyone, you've probably recommended the most books that I've actually read. So I want to hear what you, what you're going to say. I I know what you're going to say. Well, I read a lot. Um, I do think that um, you can be mentored by anybody in the world for almost free. Right. If, if you just pick up the right book. So uh, can I do two? Because um, it's hard for me. I, I read a lot of books in 2018. I always pick one or two that I reread throughout the next year. Um, and this year's books are two. Number one is Essentialism, which is probably the one that you're you're thinking about. No, I have another one, but Essentialism is one you recommended. And it was Greg McCown. Yep, it was my favorite of 2018 as well. Yeah, excellent, excellent book. It really, for me, especially because I describe myself as a multi-potentialite, I really need to rein myself in sometimes. Uh, number two um, is, uh, oh God, um, Outwitting the Devil. So if you guys know this, uh, Napoleon Hill, uh, if you know him, so he obviously, Think and Grow Rich, right? That was his, probably the, the first self-help development book back in like the 1930s, I think. There was this, he wrote a second book, right? And it didn't actually get published until... I think the last decade and because the family held on to the rights. Um, anyway, it's, it's this really incredible thing where he just makes up an entire conversation that he has with the devil um, and how to essentially overcome all of the things that we deal with as humans that block us from success. The devil is essentially representative of our own egos and how um, our society has put mechanisms in to, to break us down or not allow us to reach our full potential. So, that one, if you're ready, and I will get the audiobook because it'll blow your mind, right? So Outwitting the Devil and Essentialism by Graham McCown. Well, I will add that one, but I am surprised you didn't mention The Alchemist. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, God, I feel like that's just basic reading, right? Isn't that just something that people should read all the time? It's but not. Yeah, but it's, it's amazing. That book was my, I didn't read a lot until my mid, until my late 20s. And uh, a girlfriend of mine at the time, she's like, you should read I was like, I don't want to read. She's like, oh, no, you should read. Read this book. And I read it. And that what got me, it, it, I realized that there was more to reading than the stuff I had to read in school. And that was, that was The Alchemist. So that one, if you're like, I don't really like to read, right? Go read The Alchemist. That's probably been the most commonly recommended book so far from our guests. Rightfully so. All right, Eric, where can people reach you for all things? I know you have your new company, Elite Gym Insider. So if someone wants to to learn more from you, what, what can they do? 
Yeah, so Elite Gym Insiders is a, is a Slack community of gym owners where you can just um, go and there's an application for it. It, it doesn't cost anything, but um, you can find me there. Um, CertifiedCourseCreation.com is probably one of the best places to find me right now. And then I'm all over, I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn quite often, so you can find me there really easily. Last name is Malzone, M-A-L-Z-O-N-E. Uh, it's like a calzone with an M. It'll be in the notes, don't worry. They'll yeah. know how to spell your name. Okay. And, um, <laughs> And then, of course, on your own podcast, The Future of Fitness. Yep. I have The Future of Fitness, and I have uh, The Fitness Blitz Radio as well. Um, done about 500 uh, interviews with people in the fitness industry over the last year and a half. So there's a tremendous amount of um, insights and knowledge, and probably some of the people listening have been on one of the shows. So, Am I still the most downloaded episode? On The Fitness Blitz Radio, I do believe you are. Yeah. All right. I, I will take that to my grave. <laughs> so I'm excited. Eric, we could talk for hours, but I appreciate your time. Yeah, Thank man. you so much. I'm about to go download Outwitting the Devil. And yeah. I appreciate it. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, this is a lot of fun, man. Keep up the great work, Jay. Thanks again for listening to Best Hour of Their Day. Just a reminder, Fern and I have an amazing new show called Dropping In, premiering on our YouTube channel, in early 2020, be sure to head over to the Best Hour of Their Day YouTube channel now. Subscribe so you don't miss any of the episodes. You've probably heard us talking about it, summarizing some of our trip. You can see some highlights up on our Instagram as well, at Best Hour of Their Day. But I promise you, you're not going to want to miss out. So subscribe now. Thanks for everything you do. Thanks for letting us be a part of your lives. Hope you have a great rest of your day. Tune in tomorrow for another episode of Best Hour of Their Day.